You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. It's the kind of thing you hear about from your neighbor who heard it from his co-worker's cousin, or you read about it in a Twitter thread that's potentially more entertaining than it is trustworthy, or hear it from a TV show host who takes his shirt off for some reason and screams until he's red in the face that the Department of Defense had requested $7 million to develop a biological weapon to weaken enemy combatants by making them gay. The craziest part about it? That's true. My name's Moxie, and this is your Brain on Facts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. As I write this script in November of 2019, and hello to you, resplendent people of the future, The jail cell death of a man who provided underage sex traffic victims to politicians, business magnates, and royalty, allegedly, was considered suicide for about 90 seconds before conspiracy theories began flying. The craziest thing about conspiracy theories is that sometimes, just sometimes, they're actually true. This week's topic was voted on by our members at patreon.com slash yourbrainonfacts. In fact, they voted unanimously for this topic of the choices presented, which is the first time that's ever happened. All patrons get to vote once a month on an episode topic, including our newest $5 patron, Sindra. Again, apologies if I mispronounced your name. Do you remember watching that 70s show and how the kids would all get into their circle where suddenly they were goofy and giggly and there was smoke wafting through the room? There was a bit when they were talking about the things they keep saying when they're in the circle, and the character of Hyde brings up his apparently belabored point that the government actually has the plans for a water-powered car engine, but is suppressing it because of big oil. A lot of people believe the same thing to be true these days about electric cars. And it is true, or at least it was, a hundred years ago. You see, a hundred years ago, only 10% of Americans actually owned cars. General Motors had lost $65 million in a year, 1920s dollars. And they had to face the fact that cars just weren't that important to the other 90% of the population. This is where less successful people might have said, you know what, horses are okay, I guess. Instead, General Motors decided to find a way to make cars worthwhile by eliminating other forms of transportation. According to a Senate report in the 1930s, GM, Goodyear, Firestone, and oil companies joined together to form a number of fake rail companies. They would buy up all the small companies that operated America's small-town railroad systems, then dismantle them, and soon enough, Americans were forced to buy cars to get around. By the mid-1950s, the fake rail companies had replaced 900 of the 1,200 public railroad systems 
with gas-powered buses and cars, and we're ready to take on the biggest electric railway system in the world, in Los Angeles. Yes, the city that's famous for bumper-to-bumper traffic once had 1,500 miles of electric railways. GM bought out the local railway companies, and a few years later there wasn't a single electric streetcar operating in L.A. If this sounds a little bit familiar to you, it's also similar to part of the plot from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Bonus fact, the title Who Framed Roger Rabbit has no question mark in it, because they just didn't like the way it looked on the poster. Now, you can't just go around forming illegal monopolies willy-nilly and get away with it. In 1947, the government convicted 10 of the biggest corporations in America with conspiracy and fined GM a whopping $5,000. GM somehow survived that financial blow, since the illegal conspiracy had made it one of the most successful companies of the 20th century. And all they had to do was destroy the infrastructure of dozens of American cities. Not to mention force people to buy forms of transportation that might be equivalent to their entire annual salary. One of the most classic conspiracy theories are government assassinations. Especially when you combine it with the general paranoia of believing that someone, yourself or someone else, is secretly being monitored by the government. The government really does keep tabs on a lot of celebrities. This isn't so much of a surprise to us now, after NSA whistleblower Edward Snowden made us all aware of how much we were all being listened to, but try to cast your mind back to any time before 10 years ago. Imagine the government tracking peaceniks, beatniks, and other types with wild ideas like everyone should be treated with equal dignity. For instance, Martin Luther King Jr., The famous leader of the civil rights movement was under surveillance up until his assassination. The federal government feared that King harbored communist sympathies. That was their story, and they stuck to it. And that his movement would grow so powerful that it could threaten the established order. The program, helmed by J. Edgar Hoover personally, was called COINTELPRO and targeted an array of activists with wiretaps, bugs, spies, and informants. The FBI collected details on King's sex life, including extramarital affairs. They sent tapes they made to King's home, along with a letter recommending that he kill himself. That package was opened by King's wife. Another recipient of phone taps, the gift that just keeps on giving, was Muhammad Ali. The heavyweight boxing champion was targeted under Operation Minaret for his friendship with Malcolm X and his conversion to Islam. At least he had company. Civil rights activists, reporters, satirists, and two sitting senators were also targeted by Operation Minaret. The Vietnam War only made things worse, as wars are wont to do. Ali refused to be drafted, claiming conscientious objector status. He was jailed for this, stripped of his titles, and banned from boxing. His cause made it all the way to the Supreme Court with the landmark Clay versus the United States case. The court sided with Ali, mostly on a technicality, but his outspoken objection to the Vietnam War meant that his surveillance continued for six more years. Blending sports with politics led to another real-life surveillance that sounds like something your drunk uncle would tell you during a commercial break. After Jackie Robinson, the first black player in Major League Baseball to be elected to the National Baseball Hall of Fame in 1962, got involved in politics, 
the FBI did what they do best and started a file on Robinson, chronicling his involvement in the civil rights movement and his connection with the Harlem opening of a Center for the International Workers' Order, a supposed communist organization. Okay, that makes sense in its own way, you say. They were seeing communists under every rock back then. What if you saw a tweet claiming the government had had Whitney Houston under surveillance? You'd roll your eyes, maybe make a facetious comment, and move on. But it happened. The FBI opened a file on the singer in 1988. It would come to contain things like 79 love letters written by a Vermont superfan, cassette tapes from a fan in the Netherlands, an alleged $250,000 extortion attempt by a friend of Houston's who threatened to reveal personal details about her relationship with Bobby Brown. Of course, it would be hard to imagine anything in the file could be more embarrassing than the drug and drama soap opera that was the last few years of Houston's life. If the Bureau groups their files by category of public spectacle rather than the alphabet, Whitney Houston's file is probably in the same drawer as Anna Nicole Smith's. The FBI investigated whether Smith was involved in a plot to kill the son of her late millionaire husband. Smith and the adult son were fighting for the hundreds of millions of dollars that the father had earned as an oil tycoon. Prosecutors ultimately decided there wasn't enough evidence to charge Smith, who died in 2007. In the same cabinet might be the file on Marilyn Monroe, not because of her supposed affair with at least one Kennedy, but because of the doings of her husband in the late 50s, Arthur Miller. The FBI suspected Miller of having communist leanings and kept close tabs on his involvement with Marxist and communist groups. Monroe's file does contain theories on her 1962 death, including an excerpt from Norman Mailer's biography of her that implicates, guess who, the FBI, with the CIA thrown in for good measure. Many of the celebrities the government surveilled did something in their personal, private lives that brought them to attention, but not Eartha Kitt. The incident that got her followed by the FBI happened at the White House. In January of 1968, during Lyndon B. Johnson's administration, singer, actress, dancer, civil rights and LGBTQ advocate and all-around badass Eartha Kitt found herself at a White House luncheon where she was asked by First Lady Lady Bird Johnson about the Vietnam War. Kitt replied, You send the best of this country off to be shot and maimed. No wonder the kids rebel and take pot. The children of America are not rebelling for no reason. They're not hippies for no reason. We don't have what we have on Sunset Boulevard for no reason. They're rebelling against something. There are so many things burning the people of this country, particularly mothers. They feel they're going to raise sons, and I know what it's like. You have children of your own, Mrs. Johnson. We raise children and send them to war. Lady Bird Johnson burst into tears. LBJ then set the CIA on Eartha Kitt. Following that incident, she found herself basically unemployable. She had been broadly blacklisted, and the CIA branded her, and this is a quote, a sadistic nymphomaniac. Another staunch anti-war activist, the man who asked us to give peace a chance, John Lennon, was also tracked by the FBI. Not only were they keeping tabs on his personal life and his comings and goings, 
they tried to get him deported. It would take some time for all of this to come to light. Historian John Wiener spent 14 years fighting to gain access to the FBI's secret files on Lenin. Initially, the FBI refused to release many of the documents, saying that it would endanger national security. The FBI didn't concede until Wiener's Freedom of Information Act case made its way to the Supreme Court. A lot happens every day. Cut through some of the noise by listening to What's New with Wired, a podcast that provides in-depth coverage on technology and culture. With new episodes released every weekday, you can catch up on all the major events you missed. From AI developments to business updates to new scientific theories, it helps you make sense of what's happening in the world. Plus, each episode is usually pretty short. You can easily squeeze it in on your way to work or during a lunch break. So stay updated with the award-winning journalism from Wired. Listen to What's New with Wired wherever you get your podcasts. That's What's New with Wired wherever you get your podcasts. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Calm Cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long. Calm Cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds like ocean waves and crackling fires. All of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast. Calm Cove is brought to you by the team behind Sleep Cove, the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis, meditation and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night. If you had to think of a singer with a squeaky clean persona, you'd be hard-pressed to get more wholesome than John Denver. But the Bureau didn't see it that way. For the younger people listening, that's the guy that sang the song from Kingsman 2, Take Me Home, Country Road. He was basically as affable and devuncular as the Muppets that he co-starred alongside repeatedly. The FBI kept a file on him for over a decade. Though no major crimes were cited, the FBI was sure to write down Denver's appearance at a 1971 anti-war rally and his regular drug use. The files also contain information about 17 death threats he received from a German-speaking woman in 1979, which is slightly less strange when you learn that his last name was actually Deutschendorf. You want to talk about innocent people that the FBI stalked? How about Helen Keller? Not a joke. Helen Keller, the first blind deaf person to receive a bachelor's degree, was a socialist, against President Woodrow Wilson, for birth control, and a co-founder of the American Civil Liberties Union. How did I become a socialist? Keller wrote in the New York Call, a socialist newspaper, by reading. You don't have to be the FBI to follow our social media, Facebook and Instagram.com slash YourBrainOnFacts, or Twitter at BrainOnFactsPod. And thank you to all the superfan listeners who helped to boost the signal by sharing and retweeting posts, like Eric Parfait, The Odd Dad Out Podcast, Neville DeVar, The Where Does It Go Podcast, Presidency's Podcast, Richard Enriquez, and a special thanks to the Florida Men Podcast, for including me in their podcast recommendation lists. The holy grail of the tinfoil hat community has to be 
government mind control. That's not a thing though, right? Science fiction, the stuff of Cold War propaganda or internet trolls. Well, you're half right. The Cold War, along with the Korean War, made our government fear that not only was mind control really real, but the communists were already using it. They cited as examples soldiers returning from Korea espousing communist propaganda. There was evidence that Korea, China, and Russia engaged in psychological torture and brainwashing, and that Russia was studying LSD as a tool for mind control. Double batter that knowledge in Cold War paranoia, and you get U.S. government-sanctioned mind control experiments. They began in 1948 with 7,000 Army soldier volunteers in the Edgewood Arsenal Human Experiments, testing not only psychotropic drugs, but riot control gas like tear gas and sarin. Questions would be raised later about whether the soldiers volunteered or were voluntold, and whether those who volunteered were outright lied to about the testing. Scientists testing LSD found that the subjects' reactions were entirely individualized, horribly random, and completely unpredictable. Also, most of them were too stupefied to follow orders. These are not characteristics you want in a strategic drug. But that didn't stop the CIA. From 1953 to 1964, the CIA, under Alan Dulles, conducted dozens of experiments on the effects of biological and chemical agents on American citizens, many without their knowledge, under the heading Project MKUltra. Though Project MKUltra ran for 20 years, precious little information exists on it. Many of the CIA's records were mysteriously lost or deliberately destroyed by the time the Senate opened an investigation on MKUltra in 1976. According to a report from a Joint Committee hearing, the development of a comprehensive capability in this field of covert chemical and biological warfare gives us a thorough knowledge of the enemy's theoretical potential, thus enabling us to defend ourselves against a foe who might not be as restrained in the use of these techniques as we are. Oy. Within two years of being authorized, the project's focus had expanded to look for and test drugs that could promote the intoxicating effects of alcohol, render the induction of hypnosis easier or otherwise enhance its usefulness, enhance the ability of individuals to withstand privation, torture, and coercion during interrogation and so-called brainwashing, produce amnesia for events preceding and during their use, produce shock and confusion over extended periods of time, and produce physical disablement such as paralysis of the legs, acute anemia, etc. That's bad enough. I can't imagine what was under the heading of etc., they experimented with ecstasy, mescaline, heroin, barbiturates, methamphetamine, and psilocybin, or magic mushrooms. The testing methods were scientifically negligent and ethically atrocious. Some subjects were chosen after careful consideration. Some were chosen seemingly at random. Many people were drugged without their knowledge. There was almost never medical personnel involved, especially in the beginning. People were often drugged in social settings, meaning a high potential for collateral damage if things went pear-shaped. The CIA was so gung-ho about testing people without their knowledge, 
They even drugged other people working for the CIA. The secret drugging was so rampant that an official security memo was issued to say that office party punch bowls were now off-limits. Many test subjects sought or required hospitalization, and some died. While everything about it was questionable, special honors go to whoever named one of the sub-projects Operation Midnight Climax. Under Operation Midnight Climax, government-paid prostitutes lured unsuspecting men to CIA safe houses in San Francisco and New York to be drugged. CIA agents watched the men's reactions through a two-way mirror. Recording devices were installed in the rooms disguised as outlets. This became a particular problem when some of the prostitutes were discovered to be underage, which, and I'm not a lawyer, could mean that the CIA was making kitty porn. The most well-documented fatality of MKUltra was that of Dr. Frank Olson, a researcher with the U.S. Army who studied the offensive use of biological weapons. Along with a group of scientists, he attended a conference in Maryland in November of 1953 where they were served cocktails laced with LSD. The CIA operatives told the scientists what they had done after they'd finished their drinks. Most of the researchers handled the experience well and had no long-term effects. But Dr. Olson began to show symptoms of paranoia and schizophrenia. His superior and the operative who ran the experiment arranged for him to get treatment in New York City. While spending the night in a hotel room with a CIA officer, Olson plunged through the window to his death. According to the officer's report, he was awakened by a loud crash of glass. Olson, quote, had crashed through the closed window blind and the closed window and fell to his death from the window of our room on the 10th floor. Olson's death was declared suicide, but a second autopsy in the 90s, during exhumation and reburial of his body, found injuries inconsistent with a fall, meaning that he could have been murdered. His family tried to sue, but the case was dismissed because they had received a $750,000 settlement in 1976, along with a personal apology from then-President Ford. The Senate hearing also revealed that 86 universities or institutions were involved, and 185 non-government researchers and assistants worked on the projects. Doctors and specialists were lured into MKUltra with promises of grant money. At some of the 12 hospitals that participated in MKUltra, tests were conducted on terminal cancer patients. Experiments were also conducted on prisoners who volunteered in exchange for shorter sentences or even just more outdoor time. One prisoner who took part in the study was the infamous modern gangster Whitey Bulger. Prisoners at one institution were promised and given their drug of choice in exchange for participating. An unknown number of other experiments were conducted under the MKUltra umbrella, like electroshock and gas-propelled sprays and aerosols to be used as assassination delivery systems. And scientists had been given authorization to test radiation and paramilitary devices. There were 149 sub-projects that we do know about, many of which appear to have some connection with research into behavior modification or the surreptitious administration of drugs. 
There were eight sub-projects involving hypnosis, including two that also involved drugs, four sub-projects that used magician's art, e.g. surreptitious delivery of drug-related materials, end quote. Nine sub-projects studied sleep research, meaning sleep deprivation, and psychotherapy's influence on behavior. Six sub-projects studied the effects on human tissue of exotic pathogens and the capability to incorporate them in effective delivery systems. I am not even sure what that means, and each interpretation I come up with is worse than the last. Two lawsuits arose from MKUltra activities, and actually made it to the Supreme Court, but both rulings favored the government over citizens' rights. In 1985, the court held in CIA v. Sims that the names of the institutions and researchers who participated in MKUltra were exempt from being revealed under the Freedom of Information Act due to the CIA's need to protect its intelligence sources. In 87, in the United States v. Stanley, the court held that a serviceman who had volunteered for chemical weapons experiment but was actually tested with LSD was barred from bringing a claim under the Federal Tort Claims Act. There was another notable name in the list of MKUltra participants, be they willing or unwitting, Ken Kessie, author of the 1962 novel One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which is set in a mental asylum. He volunteered for MKUltra while he was a college student at Stanford University. Kessie was, politely put, quite keen on the whole mind expansion experience. He even tried to get a job in one of the testing facilities so that he could steal more experimental drugs. He and friends would later make and consume homemade LSD at parties that he called acid tests, though he complained that it was never as good as the government stuff. Acid tests combined drug use with musical performances by bands including the Grateful Dead, and psychedelic set dressing like fluorescent paint and black lights. These parties influenced the early development of hippie culture and kick-started the 1960s psychedelic drug scene. So, if A equals B and B equals C, then the CIA created hippies. And that's where we run out of ideas, at least for today. Though I'll wrap up telling you about the gay bomb which was amazingly not an idea cooked up in the 1950s or even 70s, but the 1990s. Freedom of Information Request revealed a document entitled Harassing, Annoying, and Bad Guy Identifying Chemicals that included several proposals for the military use of chemicals to be sprayed on the enemy. One distasteful but non-lethal example would be strong aphrodisiacs, especially if the chemical also caused homosexual behavior, says the proposal from the Air Force's Wright Laboratory in Ohio. The Pentagon did not deny that the proposal had been made. The Department of Defense is committed to identifying, researching, and developing non-lethal weapons that will support our men and women in uniform. Thankfully for enemy combatants worldwide, human sexuality doesn't work that way. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. history but hate when it's stuffy and boring well look no further and join me katie charlwood your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books 
as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.